Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me once again, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are we doing today? Even Joe, pretty excited to talk about these games. As am I. Uh, as always, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. And you can uh, listen to the show for uh, two more Tuesdays uh, and at, at nh-highschoolsports.com. Obviously, uh, the, the Tuesday that you're listening to this show on. And uh, next week, we will be wrapping up uh, the entire 2021 season and uh, maybe even talking a little bit about uh, what to look for in 2022 um, on next Tuesday. As uh, yeah, Mike, if you can if you can believe it, we're um, I mean football's done. We we yeah. watched our last football games on Saturday. I I honestly it it feels like I I mean it feels like it's been a long season, but at the same time it's like man I can't believe that we're not going to be talking about another game coming up this weekend. Yeah, it didn't it didn't feel like the end. I I, I don't know whether it was just because it was a sunny. Uh, you know, like kind of temperate afternoon. It, you know, it didn't nice, feel yeah. like late November. And it, and it certainly had, you know, I was at the Division Two game. I know you were at the Division One game. It certainly had the atmosphere of a, of a playoff or championship game. But for some reason, like, it just didn't didn't feel like we were done yet, you know. But, I mean, it's done done, right? Because I don't, yeah. I don't think either of the Thanksgiving Day games are even happening this year. No, all of the Thanksgiving Day games, um, Nashua canceled its game. Uh uh, I want to say like six weeks ago um, yeah. and handed out, they handed out their trophy after the regular season game. Uh, Central and Memorial played that first Friday in uh, November. Uh, right. As for, like an afternoon game. game. Yeah. And then um, there was supposed to be a game this week between Trinity and St. Thomas. Um, they were going to play their first Thanksgiving game, but um, I guess both teams going on deep playoff runs had some injuries uh, or more injuries than they expected. Well, I'll be, I'm obviously, um, you know, just, just for the, I guess, the well-being of the kids uh, decided to cancel that game. You know, and, and I'm going to, you know, I, I know I know you're a big fan of these games, and, and I, I, have, I enjoy covering them as well, um, especially since a lot of them got moved to the night before Thanksgiving, um, not having right. to get up on Thanksgiving morning to do them. Um, but I have a feeling this is going to be, the norm, at least for a little while, I think we're going to see. Um, I mean, we we're already down to like two or three games as it is, uh, but I think there may even be we may be down to like one um, in the future. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think it might have been last year we had talked about the, you know, the heyday of the Turkey Bowl in in New Hampshire, right? Which was sort of in the, you know, maybe like the mid two thousands, right? Like maybe two thousand, right, yeah or to 2008 or nine or whatever, right? There was just, it seemed like there were games everywhere. Like Londonderry was playing Alvern and Merrimack was playing Sauhegan and you had the the Gate City game and you had the Queen City game and you had, think, you know, a game going out on the coast yeah, and you had Portsmouth and something weird Dover, going on kind of like Monadnock Keen or something, right? Like, like there were all these games that everybody was experimenting with it. Yeah, I think Salem used to play teams from Mass for a little while, or Haverhill. I think they used to play for a little while. Yeah, yeah, we. Yeah. Had, it was like there were there was just a ton of them, and then, you know, I think the biggest thing is 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 just a lot of these teams. I mean, I know the the Nashua schools and the Manchester schools have always played each other during the season, but I think for a lot of other ones, you you were starting to get games. You know, Dover and Portsmouth, you know, didn't play each other during the regular season most years, and and all of a sudden. Now they're in the same division, and then you got um, same with Alvern and, and Londonderry. I think they played for a little while, and um, yeah, you know you got um, I, I think Merrimack and Sauhegan. It just the you know they had coaching changes around the same time, right? And and it just uh, coaching changes. I think there wasn't there an AD change, and it just kind of became you know something that that yeah, well, it just seems like the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it was a lot of, um, you know, especially with with uh, Nashua, for example, right? I mean, you could you could end up playing each other three times. Yeah, I think they they did one year. Yeah, 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 and 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 that's I I'm a firm believer that's never healthy. No, you know, once you get to once you get up over the hey, yeah, we played each other once in the regular season, and maybe we face each other once in the playoffs. Like that's it, right? Like you don't want to see them anymore. It's <laughs> it, it starts to break into the unhealthy zone. Right, right. 
this guy's done enough, uh, like has you know maybe beaten me enough over the the previous two games, and something something could go wrong. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Anyway, we'll uh, we got off on a tangent here, just right off the bat. So um, <laughs> yeah, we got to get refocused. <laughs> let's, let's get refocused. Yeah. So we were we we're going to talk about some championship games here. Where do you want to start? You want to start Division Two or Division One? Oh, let's start D two and work our way All to right. D one. Sounds good. So yeah, that was um, you know Milford and Timberlane meeting up uh, for the second time in the last couple of weeks, less than a month even, I believe. Um, that game played over at Pinkerton. Um, and, and Timberlane, what, got out on the board first, uh, took a 7 nothing lead, and then got a couple of field goals and was able to hang on. Uh, but from what it sounds like, you know, it was a 13-10 to final for the Owls, but it sounded like, you know, maybe the final score was a little bit closer than the game actually felt. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I was over there, and uh, I, first I would say I really enjoyed the game. You know, we talked a little bit before the podcast, and – um, the atmosphere was really good over there. I thought the student sections for both teams were like rowdy, but never like unsportsmanlike or anything. It, it, it was a lot of fun, but um, it was definitely a defensive battle. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing that made it feel like Timberlane was never not in control of the game, or maybe better put, they were always in control of the game was just that the field position battle was so tipped in Timberlane's favor through most of the game that it just felt inevitable, right? Even knowing how good Milford's defense was, and Milford made a couple of really key stops. I mean, the, the two field goals are indicative of that, right? And there was another stop down inside the three, I think, where, where they, you know, it was a fourth down, turnover on downs kind of stop. So Milford made some really key stops in the red zone, um, multiple times held them to held them to the two field goals, and then again, like I said, tur- turnover on downs um, down on the goal line. But the field position battle was so much in Timberlane's favor that it just you never felt like Milford was legitimately in control or even on the verge of taking control. Yeah. Um. So for Timberlane, it really was a game of offense because. As much as they didn't score a ton, um, you know, they, they, they played really well on offense, right? I think um, Don Polaria had over 30 carries for, what, 160 yards, um, and they just leaned on him. I mean, um, Post wasn't there. Post had injured his ACL. Oh. Was that and I think Coach Fitzgerald just said, it's the championship game. We're not messing around. We're giving the ball to Polaria. Yeah. And that's it. And that was pretty much how it worked, right? But, um, but you know, so the, the, they had plenty of offense, maybe not a lot of as much scoring as they would have liked. Their defense was very, very good. And obviously special teams played a huge role because the two field goals um, and the field position battle are really what put them over the edge, I think. It, it it sounds like it must have been a fast moving game too. I'm looking at the you know the story that was in the the Eagle Tribune, and uh, it says that in the third quarter Timberlane had 16 plays and Milford only ran four, um, which just I mean, 20 plays in a quarter that must have been, you know, line up, run the ball, stand there for 40 seconds, run the ball, you know, like just just keeping yeah. the clock moving. So, yeah, it sounds like a, a kind of a fast moving game too. Yeah, the actually the first half was one of the fastest first halves that I've I've seen in a while, right? I mean, I remember going to the playoff game between um, Sauhegan and uh, Hollis Brookline last season, and I'm I'm pretty sure the first half of that game took two hours. <laughs> it was ridiculous, right? I mean, you know the the, the you know all the different pass play, passes and incompletions and guys out of bound because they're going laterally. It definitely wasn't that kind of game. Both teams really kind of pounded the ball between the tackles or, or tried to in some cases. Um, it was a relatively clean-played game, maybe until the second half. Um, there were a couple of costly penalties right in a row that cost Milford some big plays uh, as they were trying to mount a comeback. But, yeah, it, it was a quick-moving game. Um you know, we, we talked, I think we talked about after the, or, or going into this game, you know, just about how that regular season game that, um, you know, you look at, you look at the end of that one and, and Timberlane really was able to 
kind of figured Milford out in the second half of that one. Do you think it, it just, like, did it carry over from that? Like, is that kind of what it looked like, just a, a repeat of that, that second half from that game, that Milford just, um, you know, or whatever adjustments they tried to make, that Timberlane was just ready for them? Yeah, it, it did look a little bit like that. You know, I, I think that I think that in that second half, um, you know, Timberlane did some things defensively, especially with the way that their defensive line was playing. You know, I mean, they've got maybe one of the best defensive linemen in the division with Cooper Kelly. Um, Evan Roger isn't too bad either. In fact, Kelly, I think, had seven tackles in the game, um, and, and Roger had six. I mean, you don't see defensive linemen, you know, up in that that area for tackles very much um you know usually it's your linebackers and your secondary people that sort of lead with tackles i think that shows you what kind of day it was but yeah it, it seemed like they were able to cut their defensive linemen loose a little bit um where in the first half of that game for whatever reason they weren't able to to you know do as good of a job of just sort of stuffing the milford run game and making milford try to do things that they weren't good at particularly so looking at, um, I you know, don't want to go too far ahead to talk about next year or anything or talk about, you know, expectations for next year. But uh, Timberlane, of course, is expected to move up, back up to Division One after this year. Um, you know, I know they lose some, obviously, guys um, like Polaria, they, they lose to graduation. Um, but, you know, it'll be... I, it was not really knowing how things are going to kind of shake out. I think, you know, kind of be interesting or, or curious to see what happens with them now moving back up. I think the whole idea of, of coming down is to what kind of re, reset your program and, and um, you know, just kind of build some momentum. And I mean, how, I mean, how else do you, <laughs> you can't build better momentum than winning a championship, right? Uh, right. But, you know, just looking over their roster real quick, I mean, they do graduate a, a handful of kids, but I look at it and see some, some pretty good returners. I mean, they got, you know, both quarterbacks potentially coming back. Garrett Chivel, who, who came in uh, in relief of Dominic Capetta, who's a, who's only a junior. Uh, as you mentioned, Post, uh, who didn't, didn't play in this game. He's just a junior. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it, it's, it, it's a, an experienced group that's going to come back um, for Timberland. And then you look at Milford. I mean, I, I, f I felt like at one point thinking, oh, man, you know, this is – this is kind of their shot, you know, with, with guys like Barnhill and Zelinsky, both seniors. Um, but, I mean, if you really look over their roster, too, I mean, a lot of the – those obviously those two were, were very key to what they did this year. But they were very light on, on seniors. Um, and, and really, it's juniors and freshmen with a, a good amount of sophomores mixed in there. Um, so, I mean, this Milford team is one that certainly could be right back in the mix uh, next year as well in Division Two. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, certainly, right, I, I, I think losing Polaria is a big deal for Timberlane. But, um, you, you know, again, assuming Post gets healthy, um, he, he was just as effective at times as, as Dominic Polaria. And then, like you said, you got the two quarterbacks coming back. I mean, Shibble was not a game manager uh, in, in this championship game, meaning it's not like he just stood there and handed the ball off. You know, there were – there were a number of times where he really kind of took control of the offense. Uh, there were a number of times he made a read and pulled the ball and went for big key gains, uh, which is something I hadn't seen him do as much in the previous matchup. You know, he, he just sort of distributed the ball and he did a good job at it, but they trusted him more uh, to use his legs, I think, this time around. So, uh, And that was something that um, that the, the, the starter, whose name now escapes me, you just said yeah, it. But, Capetta, right? Capetta was had was was you know kind of a dual threat type of guy. Um, you know, the, they'll have some interesting decisions to make, especially where you know Schiffel came in and and played really well, I thought, in this game. Um, and, and also, again, you know, kind of showed the mobility. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Timberlane does in terms of the quarterback situation next year. But and and then on the Milford side, right? It's you know. Zelensky and Barnhill combined for 37 yards rushing. I think. I mean, it, it was it was a tough day. It was tough sledding out there for those guys. Um, but through the course of the season, they'd both been elite running backs, right? Very, very good. But like you said, coming back from Milford, you still got um, uh, Caden Cloutier, who um, 
number seven was their one of their fullbacks who uh, pretty much started all season for them and, and was pretty effective in the Plymouth game. You've got Chuck Erta back. Um, I think Trice Cody is not a senior as well. No, he's a junior. Yeah, and at the end of the game when, when Milford was trying to mount the final drive, uh, and, you know, they just they couldn't run the ball anymore, right? I think there was a minute 30 left with no timeouts and, you know, left, and so Milford was just throwing the ball, and it, it was going to Cody, right? I mean, it was Erda to Cody almost every play, and even with Timberlane knowing where the ball was going, um, Erda was able to hook up with Trice a number of times. Um, for just a really well-timed, you know, little out route or little hitch or something, and then try to get out of bounds sort of thing. And uh, you could see that there was some chemistry that had developed there. So, yeah, something to build off of for uh, for next year uh, for Milford. Uh, yeah, that's... yeah, the big question for both teams, and it, and it always was, I think, when, you know, when I was coaching, right, it's like you can get the skill position guys back. It's what are you losing in the trenches, right? You know, right. Milford loses one of the best linemen in Division Two, which was Ben Kilgore. Um, you know, he was a force all season for them. He played a heck of a game on on Saturday, I thought, um, especially against what, what probably was the best line in the in the division, right? With um, Timberlane, um, and then you have the two guys that I mentioned earlier from Timberlane. You know, I don't know if they're seniors or not, but. Um, Milford's challenge will be: Can they reload up front? Well, yeah, I'm just trying to take a quick look at their ro- at, over their roster because I mean, usually you see these, you know, you, you have linemen listed and they've got, you know, it, it's there's like a you know couple of six, seven, eight guys that are all seniors, and you're like, oh well, I don't know how many of these guys, you know, right? I, I, that's that's my, you know, my my problem sometimes watching games is I, I tend to focus on the ball so much I sometimes miss who all of the linemen are. Um, my apologies to all of the linemen out there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's hard for me to see. But, I mean, just looking over it real quick, I mean, you, you mentioned Kilgore, uh, Vernon LeClaire, um, a guy who looks like he started for Milford um, at tackle. He's a senior as well. Um, yeah. Uh, another guy whose number I wrote down doesn't appear to be on the roster, which, you know, it's kind of par for the course, I think. Uh <laughs> tends to happen sometimes um yeah uh but then you know guys like uh like ben merrill uh keegan hatch those guys look like they're our underclassmen uh potentially coming back from milford and then yeah, yeah. i mentioned you mentioned a couple guys from timberlane i know uh rieger is uh a senior um and so is kelly Cooper kelly yeah um you know, but they'll have uh, a couple other guys back. Uh, Nico Langlos, Langlos, Langlos. Um, he's yep. a junior. Um, should be back for them. Uh, Malachi Collin. Uh, he's also uh, an underclassman. Um, yeah. So I think they're going to have both sides. Will have some some good guys up front or good size up front um, returning. Um, yeah. It's just it's just kind of wait and see what uh, what the divisions are going to look like. I guess. Um, to really yeah, and, and like you said, you know, I mean, Timberlane, Timberlane was two years removed from a winless season, had the opportunity to come down and rebuild the program, right? Because they're a, they're a smaller, typically they've been a smaller Division One school, um, so it's not like it's, you know, one of these 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 big schools dropping down, right? Just because they they haven't been good, right? I mean, Timberlane dropped down; they have smaller numbers. They dropped down to try to make sure that they could build those numbers back up, get ex- some excitement back into the program. Uh, obviously, mission accomplished, right? And they're probably in very good shape should they move back up next year. You know, and, th- and then with regard to Milford, right? I mean, think about the journey that Milford had to go on this year. They they were 6-3, and three, I think, uh, or 7-3. and 6-2. and two. They, they, they lost that game with, uh, with West, so they only played 8. Uh, uh, that's right, so that's right, right, six, right. 6-2. Yeah, and- had to play. They uh, lost three games total to two teams. Yeah, and yeah. both the teams they lost to. Um, what was I? What, what am I saying here? Because I don't want to make a mistake. They lost to <laughs> one was not. Well, I mean, Timberlane was undefeated. They lost to them twice, right. and then Lebanon. You know that was the only. Lebanon team was undefeated only, until yeah. Milford beat them. Right. 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 So, so that yeah, that was the point and I was then, trying to um, make. I was like, oh, I lost my point here. <laughs> my point was that, and then you they, know, the only two teams they lost to were basically. Two undefeated teams, right? And then they beat um, they beat Plymouth for the first time ever in the, in the, right. the quarterfinals. So yeah, 
Right. They had to go, and then, yeah, when they get into the playoffs, they had to beat Plymouth, who, you know, almost punches their ticket probably more than every other year to the finals. They had to go through them, and then an undefeated team they had previously lost to, and then another undefeated team they had previously lost to. Yeah, yeah. And so you think about that journey, and you say, you know, the experience that some of those young guys who are coming back got in going through that journey this year is pretty significant, right? In, in terms of, uh, you know, your motivation for the off season, your leadership and stuff. Um, I, I think it was a tall order for Milford to, you know, to win that game. I picked them to win that game. Um, but it, you know, I knew in my heart that was a tall order uh, yeah. j- just because of those facts, right? I mean, they'd, they really had to go through the meat grinder at the end of the season. And they think about it was Timberlane to end the regular season, Plymouth, Lebanon, Timberlane again. That's an unbelievable gauntlet, you know, to go through for four weeks of football, right? And and it's and again, it's not like you have a ton of depth. Um, you're just gutting your way through, and and just fighting and punching. And and uh, I, I just think I think they had a good season, regardless of, you know, the end result in the championship game. They should be proud. And even and certainly Timberlane should be proud. They had a great. Great season, only two years removed from an offer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and like we talked about last week, too, for both programs, you know, making the championship game for the first time in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. It had been 2004 previously for Milford and 2001 for Timberlane. So, um, yeah, just a, a great season for both programs, and, and congrats to to both on uh, on that that season and, and Timberlane for, for winning the final, winning the championship. Um any other thoughts on that game before uh, we move on to D1? No, I think the only other thing that I, I've made note of here that I wanted to mention is I, I really thought that Coach Fitzgerald and his staff did a great job game planning and preparing, right? They they forced Milford uh, to get away from the things that they'd done well all season, right? They they really kind of bottled up that run game um, and, and forced them to try to do some other things. And the other thing that I think goes unnoticed many, many times, uh, but I want to mention it because I think it's important, is that the other thing Coach Fitzgerald did was he stuck. You know, you could tell on offense they had a game plan. They went in and said, we're going to ride Polaria, and we're going we're gonna to run inside and wear Milford out inside tackle to tackle, and that's exactly what they did. Right? They didn't try to get fancy – they didn't try to get away from it to make the people in the crowd feel excited about, oh, they ran a counter-reverse, or they did, ran a screen, or they ran... They were just like, this is the championship game. Milford's a darn good football team. We're not screwing around. We're going we're gonna to put in a really basic but good game plan, and we're going to stick to it. We're, we're not and I to... think he did a really good job of that because, again, as the game went on, um, they were able to control the ball and, and kind of wear Milford down a little bit. It wasn't about how many points they were going to get on the board. It was about winning that long game by sticking to the game plan, and I thought they did an outstanding job of doing just that. We're gonna, we're, they weren't there to put on a show for everybody. They were there to, uh, to win a championship. Exactly, right. And, and they stuck to their guns, and it worked. You know, And they could have very easily have gotten impatient because, again, it wasn't like it was – you know, 28 to to 10, right? I mean, they, they were down inside the red zone a few times and, and didn't score touchdowns, but they didn't panic. They kept with what they were doing. They kept with the players that they knew were going to carry them. And I think it takes a lot of courage to do that, especially in a championship game. So my hat is off to them. They did a great job. Uh, well, I know last week, um, you know, leading into when we were doing our preview talk for the Division One game, um, we, we like we broke down everything. And when I mean we broke down everything, we even talked about the coin toss. We did. Um, we we had a thorough analysis of the coin did. toss and its impact on the game. And wouldn't potential you, impact? Wouldn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think we, I think we said if you're Londonderry and you win the coin toss, do you want to defer and let Winnicott potentially have the ball for the entire first quarter or something like that? Uh, and wouldn't you know, Londonderry won the coin toss. They deferred. And and when it kind of went on a nine minute seventeen play drive to start the game, uh, yeah, just I uh, I am watching it and I'm thinking to myself, 
I think we I, I think we we did that. Like we talked about this, didn't we? This is exactly yeah, like what, what we did. said might happen. Weren't uh, they listening to us? <laughs> I guess I don't know. I might. I guess I might have to send. Maybe I'll send Coach Lowe's on a link. Uh, uh, next I'm, time. I'm sure he'd sure appreciate he that. Yeah, he'd sure. find it educational at least. <laughs> uh, I don't know about educational. Maybe enter. Maybe entertain. We're we're the ones doing the entertaining. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I ha- I mean, there were there were four possessions in the first half of that game. Um, you know, two for each side. Winnicott had I had them with 17 minutes of possession in the in the first half of that game. They ran. They had a 17 play drive that ended in a touchdown, and then a 16 play drive that um, almost ended in a touchdown um, with 24 seconds left in the first half. Actually, one of, one of those moments that like, I, I mean, it didn't seem like it because it was a I'll say like a desperation throw, but it was kind of like a just you know a heave by by Kyle Tilly towards the end zone. Um, I don't remember if it was on fourth down. I think it was a fourth down pass. Um, yeah, it was fourth and six from Londonderry's twenty six, and he tried to go deep um, to the end zone, and it was picked off by Londonderry's uh, Anthony Salcedo. And it was one of those you could see. So he he came down with the ball and landed inside the one. Uh, and you could just kind of see him laying there on the ground, reacting, going, "Oh no, what did I just do?" Uh, yeah, you know, because fourth down, he just knocks the ball down. They get the ball at the twenty-six. Instead, they're in inside the one. Uh, Twenty-four seconds left, and it's like they can't even kneel the ball down here. Um, but I, I actually, I, before we get into too much of that, I want to. We got a little bit. I got a little bit ahead of myself here. Yeah. So I, as I was saying, um, London area open that. Or, jeez. Winnicott opened the game with that long drive, and Londonderry actually answered with a drive of their own and then just couldn't score on it. Um, you know, but it was, it was, the first half was very much played, you know, we were talking about pace and tempo like a, like a basketball game. It, the first half was definitely at Winnicott's pace, and the second half was very much at Londonderry's pace. Um, and it, and it just, you know, it was, I think in my story, I, I led with, um, you know, assistant coaches telling Jimmy that, you know, we should do this. We should try this. We should try this. And it's like, guys, we haven't even had the ball. Like we, we can't, right. we, we can't say what we did and didn't work because we, we couldn't do anything. Um, yeah. How, how have you possibly accumulated enough data on, on what we're doing and what they're doing to stop it when, <laughs> when we've barely had enough, you know, we've barely run through our, our opening script. I mean, they had, they ran 16 or excuse me, 19 plays in the first half. Um, did I add that up right? I probably didn't. 16 plays in the first half. Um, and three of them were at the end, you know, in the last 24 seconds, trying to get out of the shadow of their own, uh, their own goalposts. Um, yeah. you know, so, I mean, it's like, how do you, yeah. How do you take anything away from that? And then, you know, they come out to start the second half and, and, you know, the first play they pick up five yards, second play, they lose those five yards. So it's third and 10. And I, I don't know my feeling. I, I had the feeling of, Geez, what are they going to do now? Um, you know, they hadn't really tried to throw the ball much um, to that point. Um, you know, maybe a couple times on that opening drive, but nothing like. And nor did they last week against Salem right, at all, right. really. Um, but and and nothing deep. And then all of a sudden, on that third and ten, um, Heenan just uh, unloads, hits uh, Andrew Coleman for a sixty-three yard touchdown. And all of a sudden, the game—I mean, the game really flipped right there. Like, it took a little bit of time for Londonderry to to kind of take control, but but I mean, that was the moment where it started to swing. Actually, you can maybe even say the interception was that moment, because um, as I was saying, they were inside the one when it kind of gets called for a substitution infraction, moves the ball out to the six. Um, you know, so that kind of I think started it going and then Londonderry gets the ball to start the second half and is able to score on that drive and, and kind of really got the ball rolling um you know and then it was just kind of like oh yeah go ahead oh I, I was gonna say and I liked uh you know you you talked to Coleman after the game and I I I I, I like what he said there about how hey you know it, it sounded like he was saying hey you know we saw something on film that that made us think that that play was going to connect and when it did you could kind of tell with the momentum swing there. He didn't quite use those words, but he basically said you could tell that they sort of got down after that. You know, Winnicott, they they had done such a good job of holding Londonderry, holding Londonderry, and then all of a sudden, emotionally, bang, 
they they hit a big play and it's it's almost like oh now nah, now we have to now we know they can do that and even worse as a defense you're thinking and now they know they can do that right yeah and you know, um and what kind of pressure does that put on us um it, it sounded like that was the big turning point and and what and then and then Londonderry's defense came out and made a stop um not not only made a stop but they forced Winnicott to go three and out um and I was kind of surprised in in the the you know just what they did on that drive is they they ran the ball on first down got two yards, and then and which is not you know unusual. I mean I feel like that's one of the big things about their offense is it feels like you know if they're only getting two or three yards on first down that's that's fine. We're just going to turn around and run it again and get five. You know right right and, we're we're just going to be patient. We're gonna we're gonna pop right. one here and and, and on, we're not going to worry about being behind the chains too much. I don't know if it was because they were at they started that drive at their own ten, uh, but they came out on second down and tried to throw the ball, um, and it went incomplete. So now you're looking at third and eight. Um, you know, when you get three yards, you end up having to punt. So I just I I was you know, I it just it seems strange to me um, that they got away from you know what they like to do at that at that moment. And like I said, maybe it was a field position thing, but then they end up giving the ball back to Londonderry at midfield, and right away, um, Heenan to Coleman again for 25 yards, and, and Londonderry right. back in business. Um, but Winnicunnett did a great, you know, Londonderry went up 14-7. Winnicunnett came back and answered with a, with a you know, a longer drive, made it 14-14, um, and they almost tied it again. I, I you know, I, I wish I'd, I'd noticed or remembered this at the moment to ask the coaches about. I did get a little bit uh, from, from Coach Francoeur on, on the, Winnicott's drive to try to tie the game at 21, uh, but there was a on the second play of that drive, uh, Tilly hit uh, Dom Gould with a, a short pass out into the flat that it looked like it had nowhere to go. Like I don't I'm I don't know I was on the other side of the field from it and couldn't really tell where exactly the defense was, but I thought wow this this play doesn't look like it's going anywhere. And the next thing you know, Gould is racing down the sidelines and he looks like he's gone, and out of I don't want to say out of nowhere, but but um, you know, Londonderry player was able to close on him, uh, Dylan Dylan Risley, who's actually their their field goal kicker too. Um, yeah, closes on him and makes a diving tackle, just trips Gould up enough to to bring him down at the, the Londonderry thirteen. So instead of being a touchdown, it's a, a sixty-seven yard gain. And then three plays later, Winnicott fumbles, Londonderry gets it back, and uh, and goes down and kicks a field goal. So it yeah. just that was just a huge swing right there. Um, cause you know, he scores, it's 21, 21, they've traded, you know, these big plays back and forth in the passing game. Um, just a completely, and that, that play was the last play of the third quarter, the, the long pass to Gould. So, I mean, you're, you're starting the fourth quarter tied at 21 when it kind of, it's kicking off. It's anybody's game at that point. And it's, and instead Londonderry is going on a, not quite a game ending drive, but, but one that took up. Uh, more than five minutes off the clock, and and ended in a field goal to make it a two possession game. Yeah, yeah, a lot of field goals this past weekend, uh, which was, I mean, you know, I should say a lot. Like it wasn't like there were a ton of field goals. I just mean the field goals. You don't see field goals play that many important roles in in New Hampshire football, and no. certainly this this weekend uh, in both games, right? The field goal was a weapon. You know, one of the stats that kind of stuck out to me in this game, and, and you know, I had talked last week about how, you know, I, I thought that Londonderry had their work cut out for them on the defensive side of the ball because the the Winnicunnet attack, particularly the way their their blocking up front works, was going to be something different for them, a different kind of challenge, and um, you know, to see that Tucker McCann finished with um, just a hair over fifty yards. Yeah where, you know, he had been over 100 several times. Um, I, I don't think he had a playoff game where he didn't have 100 yards. Um, that's huge for Londonderry, and, and you've got to credit those players and the coaching staff because, you know, he, he was one of the best players in New Hampshire this year. Uh, you know, certainly certainly a difficult kid to stop, not just because he's a great runner, but because that Winnicott line is so good and so quick off the ball. Uh, and just gets in your face, right? And 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 before you know it, it's they've gotten three yards, and you haven't even 
you haven't even had a chance to touch the running back yet. And I think I think it's a, kind of a hats off stat to the Londonderry defense. Uh, could have been a very different game if McCann had gone for an additional fifty or sixty yards. Right. Yeah, and and both both coaches had acknowledged too that you know if if the game was going to be played, you know it, where McCann gets a lot of his yards inside. Um, on both sides of the ball, that it was probably going to go Winnicunnet's way. Uh, but if Londonderry was able to get out on the perimeter, which they were in the passing game, um, you know, that it would go their way. Like, they're, they were, they had uh, a tough time, um, you know, really running the ball, um, you know, kind of getting outside at all. Um, Heenan had 69 yards uh, on eight, on 18 carries, and, and Jake Shenna had 23 uh, Twelve of that came on his touchdown run, um, but they were there were a lot of times that London area was getting, you know, two, three, uh, even one or no yards, um, you know. So it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely they needed that. You know, last week against Salem, they were able to kind of uh, lean on that run game a little bit more, but but they needed that passing game to kind of loosen things up. And um, you know what what a what a story there with um, with Drew Heenan. Um, you know, junior quarterback who who played a little bit last year as a sophomore um, gets thrown into the kind of like with Timberlane and 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 Chival, gets thrown into the lineup midseason because of an injury um, to to Aiden Washington, and then Washington comes back, plays a couple of games, gets hurt again, uh, and and Heenan's got to step in and uh, and and ends up leading his team to a, a championship. Um, you know, definitely, and that kind of I think is fitting for Londonderry this year. You know, a, a guy that that you know was probably on no one's radar going into the year uh, for a team that has been successful the last couple of years. But I don't. I mean, I think a lot of us probably looked at this year as maybe a um, not necessarily a rebuilding year for Londonderry, but a reloading year. You know, smaller senior class, less experienced team, uh, but these guys came together and and got it done. And and you know, who would have thought a couple of years ago we're talking about Londonderry? You know, winning two out of three championships here in Division One. Right, right. And I liked what Coach Lozon said in, in your interview with him where he said, who would have thought this? there were no household names yeah, yeah. on our team heading into the season. And, you know, it's funny that he said that because that's exactly what I had thought after Londonderry beat Salem last week. Because I was like, you know, none of the Londonderry players' names really kind of, you know, kind of fly off the, the, the page or, or, or fly off the tongue, maybe I should even say, right? You don't just have that... Oh yeah, I know this guy, and I know that guy, and I, you know, um, you know, I mean, Heenan's going to be a name now. I mean, he had two hundred something yards rushing last week. He had two hundred something yards passing this week. He he can obviously get it done either way. Um, again, very similar to what we were talking about with Timberland. Uh, well, Washington was a senior though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say that that'd be interesting if they're both coming back next year. Um, but I think it's a credit, obviously, to Londonderry and and what they accomplished. Right? They didn't do it with, you know, this, you know, the 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 the, the Dom Polaria type running back, right? Where you know his name was all over the place, or the Caden Zelinsky, or uh, even even McCann, whose name got pretty well known this season, right? I mean, their guys were just they 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 really kind of got their offense and defense done through just eleven guys. Right, doing the teamwork thing, and you know, you and I were kind of laughing about that last week, saying, "You never know who the superstar is going to be." A, you know, or, or, any given game or any given drive for Londonderry, um, and 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 you know, it was fun to talk that way about them because it's true. But the reality of it is, I think that's that's part of what they should be so proud about, right? Is that they got it done, not leaning on sort of the you know. Uh, a star player, quote unquote, right? They were just a bunch of good, solid, well-coached football players that worked together very well this season. Well, I think maybe the best example of that is, um, you know, you know, doing preview interviews last week, talking to to Coach Frank Court when it kind of, you know, who who on that offense, who in Londonderry's offense, kind of scares you the most? And his answer was Coleman, just because of his speed and athletic right. ability. And I'm like, I and I looked at it, and I was like, he didn't even touch the ball against Salem, you know. So it's, and and here he comes out right. this week and he has five catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. So it's, yeah, right. I think that's exactly right. It was somebody, you know, who it was whoever they needed to step up was stepping up, stepped up, 
um, which is and that's scary too because yeah. obviously Coach Francoeur had a target on Coleman, and and, and he, he still know, yeah he was still able to have yeah, a big game, still had a big game, and and when it comes to defense, you know, you were talking earlier about you know. Uh, what Winnicott was able to do defensively. I mean, Winnicott's defense was so fast and so physical this season um, that, you know, I, I think, that, again, that's a credit to how good Coleman really was. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and looking over Londonderry's roster, we're talking about, you know, what, in Division Two, what those guys have coming back. Um, I mean, and Londonderry does lose some some guys, seniors that contributed, um, you know, not this – this year the last couple of years uh but they are uh returning quite a few guys uh you know we talked about heenan and coleman both of them are, are juniors they'll be back um you know shenna who had the other touchdown in that game was just a sophomore uh, yeah i that's the kid i was thinking they, i was gonna say they have a sophomore skilled position player who's got wheels he's really good yeah and i think that's him that is um you know Trevor Wyman, um, who was a good uh, player on both sides of the ball and on special teams for them. Um, he's back next year. Just yeah, just a lot of guys returning. So I mean, I you know, well, I'll I'll get we'll get into this again more next week. Um, but I would put Londonderry at the top of the list of teams that uh, that would probably be the favorite heading into next season. Um, and you look at Winnicott, um, you know they they do lose a lot of seniors. Um, you know we mentioned Kyle Tilly, the quarterback. Uh, McCann, Tucker McCann, his brother. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on his first name? Uh, Jack McCann. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say I just talked to both. I was just about to bail you week. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't shouldn't be forgetting that one. Um, you know, both those guys are graduating. A lot of those, a lot of those guys that were in that backfield. Um, uh, Matt Alkery, Owen Bateman. Um, you know, they all graduate. Dom Gould, we mentioned him, uh, had some big plays in this game. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be looking probably, you know, they, they do return some starters, um, some guys that got experience, um, but certainly a team that's going to have to maybe do what Londonderry did this year and, and kind of reload a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I think Kyle Tilly was an underrated player. You know, I, I saw Winnicott on film, you know, a few times probably, right? Certainly not more than three. Um, but I thought that he was a really good player. You know, again, they don't go about their business throwing the ball all over the field. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a good quarterback. It doesn't mean that a guy like Dom Gould isn't a really good receiver. It just means that's not how they choose to go about their business. But I thought whenever Tilly needed to make a play with his legs or needed to make a play with his arm, he was as capable as anybody I'd seen, right? So that's that's a tough one to replace there for them, especially with that kind of offense that they run. You know, when you have that quarterback that can do those things, even though you might not ask him to do it a lot, but you have the guy that's capable of doing it, that makes you really hard to stop because you still have to respect everything, even though they might not do it a lot. So it'll be interesting to see if Winnicott can reload um, at quarterback and at, at that receiver position uh, and, and continue to keep defenses honest. Cause I do think that was a big part of what helped them be successful this year. I think if they had just tried to pound those guys inside, but didn't have the threat of guys like Tilly and Gould, it, it would have been a lot harder for them. Yeah. Any other, um, any other thoughts about the D one game before, uh, before we kind of wrap up for the week? No, I think, I think it was, uh, you know, I think it ended up being a great game and it was, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it was, uh, uh, a lead change, um, and you know it 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 it, um, it ended up being everything that we thought it was going to be. I guess you know in terms of the uh, the competitive of it, nature of it, the the defense uh, on both teams kind of being instrumental at various times. Uh, I, I again, I'm I'm really proud of both teams. I know it had to be gut wrenching for Winnicott to you know go undefeated up to that point. Um, but it just goes to show how hard it is to be undefeated. Yeah. Whether it's in right. high school football or college, or uh, you know, certainly the NFL, where it hasn't happened in, in decades, right? But um, you know, I, I I just think two very good teams. They both deserve to be there. Uh, again, I'm I'm sure Winnicott still um, maybe feels a little down about about you know we we got all the way to the end and didn't get it across. But hey, look, you know, I mean undefeated regular season 
really good team. Um, they should they should be just as proud. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. And like you say, it was a tremendous game. Um, one of the one of the the more entertaining ones um, I remember, um, you know, from uh, Division One over the years. And um, I guess the part of the reason for that, and I think um, this kind of you know, one thing I do want to talk about before we, we finish up, um, you know, the uh, the atmosphere for that game um, and, and the venues. I know we talked about that uh, a couple times over the over the course of the season where the games are being played, um, you know, just not having them at UNH just uh, and, and that the, the struggle that caused for uh, for some of us, I guess me more so than others. Um but I mean, it it did the the atmosphere was great for the game. I'm not gonna I'm not saying that it wasn't. Um, you know, both both sidelines were packed. There were people standing around uh, on the little hill on the one end zone where the the larger scoreboard is at Exeter. Um, you know, people were into the game like you like you had said. Um, you know about about the the crowd at Pinkerton. Uh, it was a great crowd um, in terms of sportsmanship. I thought. Um, you know, no, no, no chance that we're, you know, oh, I can't believe they're saying that, or, or, you know, that's not, that's not really fair. Um, a couple signs on the Winnicott side that may have been in, in poor taste, um, but you know, that's, I guess that's high school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but and but overall, it was a, it was a great day for a football game, and 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 as you mentioned, the weather too was fantastic. You know, the last. The last two years, we've had really great days for for weather weather wise, which I guess makes up for the previous two were were not the or previous one was not great in 2019. That was just a, a horrendous day if you remember that one. Um, yeah, um, you know. But all that said, I still I still feel like these games need to be at UNH at least Division One and Two, um, and if not UNH, then then somewhere maybe maybe Saint A's, but but somewhere together. And and the more I've thought about it, and and we kind of discussed this before we started recording tonight. Um, but my my thinking is, it's just these games are important. Um, you know, they're the championship games for football, which is you know whether people like it or not. That's that's the sport that gets the most um, spot, gets the biggest spotlight. And yeah. to play these games, like not to, not that Exeter's not a great venue, not that Pinkerton was in a great venue, or Bedford or Laconia, um, you know, for for what you've got going on. But you know, to put the game on a field at like UNH, I think just makes it, it makes it more legitimate. Um, you know, you're 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 talking about the biggest stadium in the state, um, the the biggest college program in the state. Um, you know, and and from from my perspective, again, that's that's what I'm. I am a media person. I'm going to these games to cover them. I like being able to get to see all of them. Um, you know, you look at the website today, and there's a story from the Division One game and and a little write up from Division Two. I look back at two years ago from 2019. I had like eight stories from those games because I was able to right. cover cover all three of them. Um, you know, it's just it it it. it it takes away from our ability to cover these games, um, you know, and I think it takes it lessens the importance of them. You know, you got things that happen at UNH that that maybe happen behind the scenes that people don't see. You know, they they, they keep stats for you at these college venues, um, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it kind of is. Uh, you know, from our perspective, you know, there was a ton of media at this game, and and all of us are keeping our own stats, and I'm I would bet you that that, that none of them are the same. We all got different numbers. However, right. that, however that well, happens. And I would imagine not having to worry about keeping the stats right. allows you to pick, yeah. up hey, pick up on some of the, 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 the drama and the feel of the game, right, that you exactly. really want to kind of capture in a story and not just, you know, hey, you know, Tucker McCann had 53 yards on 12 carries or something, right? I mean, okay. Um, but, but the things that you generally care about and write well about are, the emotion swings or the, you know, a key decision that had to be made and how that was looked at, you know, those are the things you want to be able to focus on. Yeah. And stuff that happens maybe in between the plays, you know, and instead right. I'm too busy scribbling notes down on my, my notebook and my, my stat sheets instead of looking at what's going on or I miss the next play. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, that's, that's a personal thing, but again, I, I feel like just 
putting them games at UNH or, or a venue like that um, just makes it more, gives it more significance. I mean, you know, you, you sit there, these are our championship games. They should be somewhere important. And I, I don't know, that, that's, that's what I got. Yeah, no, we've, that's been a running theme for us this season is just talking about some of these, um, some of these decisions. And, and, you know, Joe, maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the, the pandemic elements and things just kind of caused, you know, whether it was the NHIA or UNH or some combination of the two to say, Hey, you know what, not the right time, not the right year for that. And hopefully it'll be back next year. You know, um, I don't know whether they, uh, that, you know, they take feedback or whatever, but, um, I don't think so. You know, to me, it, it seemed like that was an experiment that really went well. Yeah. Uh, in the years that they did that, whatever it was, 13 through 19, I guess, right? Um, uh, 14 through 19. The first year... Was it 14? Okay, yeah. yeah I the first yep. year they were still at the home, the higher seat at home. Uh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, but, but it seemed to go well. I, I never heard anyone say that they didn't appreciate that. I mean... Um, you know, you might get some teams who are like, hey, yeah, we had to travel or whatever, right? But yeah, you you can't say you're not going to travel with other models either, right? Um, well, why would it be different? So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. You know, we we've been we've been talking a lot about uh, you know what the teams that played in the championship game might have coming back for next year and things like that. You know, it's same type of discussion. It's a lot of speculation, but um, we can hope that maybe uh, over the you know given the last couple years and maybe either what they saw for attendance or what they saw for media coverage or whatever will 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 get folks to realize hey you know this is better when we do it a different way you know to to the travel point um you know why I don't even know how that could be like you have schools that are, are that travel to UNH for basketball you know the the right. the, the division 1 and 2 semis and finals for boys basketball are, are at UNH so if you have got a team like i you know i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying that they they've you know, don't like going to UNH, but I'm just, as an example, a team like Lebanon, who for years was in the boys' finals and semifinals every every season. Um, you know, why they could travel for basketball and not football? Um, I, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not saying that they, that's an issue with them, but I'm just, that's, you're, you can go for one sport, you can go for the other sport, would be my feeling. Um, that. Anyway, yep. yeah, I hope I hope it is just the COVID thing, and, and next year we're back to a little bit closer to, to normal. And and um, and speaking of closer to normal, we um, I will hopefully be able to give you a more normal kind of uh, look ahead to to twenty twenty two next week, and also um, recap uh, some things that happened during the twenty twenty one season that um, you know just kind of it was notable, um, interesting. Um, infamous i don't know any anything like that that pops up um well you know as we're getting ready for next week so yeah we'll wrap up um the football season with that how's that sound sounds good to me any excuse <laughs> to get together one more time absolutely all right well uh thanks again for listening to us he is uh mike lockman mike thanks again thank you joe i'm joe marcellina and we'll talk to you one more time next week everyone have a uh, happy and uh, safe thanksgiving